Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice. No fluff and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you, and lastly, preparing for your eventual retirement and how to maximize that result. So we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference, and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals. You are the founder of an advisory firm, and now it's time to step into a true leadership role to guide your firm to even greater success. David Grau is here to explain the need for that shift from producer to CEO. I'm Patrice Sikora. So David, this sounds like a very natural progression for a founder, but is it easy? Oh, I wish. I mean, I'll say for <laughs> some, yes. I mean, it does end up kind of happening to them. I wouldn't say that makes it easy, but it is easier when it kind of happens organically. It also takes a heck of a lot longer. So when you start looking at that shift, and, and frankly, I think there's probably two two major shifts, like two really hard shifts that I have seen advisors, our clients have to make over the course of their careers. The first one is, you know, the move to independence, mm -hmm. like, you know, going from an employee model, which isn't necessarily a good or bad thing, but the shift from going and being an employee who just focuses solely on taking care of their clients to making the decision that I'm going to do that as well. But now I also want to take on the, the burden or the opportunity of building a business at the same time. So there's that first shift where we raise our hand and self-select into entrepreneurship. That's, that's a major step. The next major one then is that shift from being a producer and advisor to being a leader, a CEO. And that's, that is no less consequential, no less challenging, but it is, it's one of those things that when you sit back and look at the industry and you look at those firms that have had the most success that you look at like, well, how in the world do they do it? Yeah. I mean, they have good growth engines. They have good team members, good operational teams, but it comes back to they have great leaders and those leaders are able to dedicate their time to leading. And that's impactful. So you've seen a lot of businesses in your work. Are there any common traits that you can pick up at the, the really the firms that become the biggest and most efficient? Yeah. And, and I really do think it comes back to the ability to build intentionally, like having that sort of end goal in mind of what I want to build my practice into. Do I want to build, and, and I've heard, uh, you know, Michael Kitsis say this, you know, over and over again, when people talk about the dying small advisor, like they can't compete. And, you know, he's pretty good about positioning. Like, no, that's nonsense. Like there will always be a place for those small lifestyle practices to thrive. And, and they do. I mean, they're wicked efficient, but either do that, own it, be great at it, or set your sights on building the enterprise. And if you focus on the enterprise, getting back to your question of the, the traits of the biggest and mm -hmm. best, the most efficient firms, it are is those firms that they either focus on being wildly efficient, staying small and nimble and enjoying that, or they go the other way and they are they are on a path to build their enterprise, whether that leads to them at a half a billion in AUM, a billion, 10, 20 billion in AUM, 
they are focused on building a business that isn't centered around them. Like, sure, it benefits from them being there for sure, but the business doesn't exist because of them. And so you start to then see some natural traits coming from firms like those. They shift from being generalists to being specialists, where they are getting a handful of people who are really good at doing a few things. As a result of that, you end up starting to break down silos. And when you break down silos, you can then create more integrated teams. You end up with workflows and processes because you know we, we're a $5 million firm with one book of business and five great lead advisors instead of being $5 million practices with a shared front desk person and brand. And when you start to do that and build a single enterprise, get specialists, break down those silos, Boy, that gets tough to compete with financially, operationally. You start looking at like getting acquisitions done and inorganic growth. Like, which firm would you want to end up selling to? The firm with five great advisors, but can all do their own thing and are quasi competitors, right. or the truly integrated team that that does things that most advisory firms could never do because they're too siloed. So. They end up becoming these magnets for acquisitions. People want to merge with them and they start getting really selective with it because they have such a cool culture and so many efficiencies built in that they don't want anybody to come in and upset the apple cart. So, and, but then they end up being like a light bulb where they start attracting a whole bunch of additional opportunities. So it's tough to compete with. All right, David. So they've got integrated teams. That sounds wonderful, but don't they have, they're going to have to have job descriptions, aren't they? And, and career tracks individually. That is the up or downside of sort of shifting from the advisor lifestyle practice to that CEO leader is it, it starts to get a little more complicated to your point, Patrice, where, yeah, you've got more people. They are definitely getting more specialized, which is great. And it's easier to hire for people who have a more narrow job description. But to your point, that starts to necessitate having more job descriptions. And then when you start having more jobs and job descriptions and specialists, now we got to kind of start to line those things up, which then starts to look a lot like a career track, which is actually pretty cool. In my opinion, it's a giant pain in the butt. Like having done it personally, having seen our team work on it with clients, it is as much art as it is science. It's a combination of looking at the business plan, looking at the industry, personal growth goals. But if you can start to create these career tracks, it it really, I think it's going to help our industry. Like I don't want to get you know up on the soapbox here, but from an industry perspective, part of what kills me is we're succession resource group. Like we love doing succession planning and help people figure out their exit strategy. Well, that takes gen two and gen three. And I don't care if they're on your team or if they're people you merge with or bring in at some point right before you retire. Like it takes the next generation of talent. If we don't get career tracks in place and job description and reasonable compensation, like not come join a firm and get paid commissions on an eat what you kill system, like we're going to have a tough time attracting next gen talent. And we, as an industry, have had that as a challenge. But I think as firms continue to grow and evolve, build out these career tracks and job descriptions, boy, all of a sudden... I mean, I think working in and around this industry, it's it's pretty sexy. If I was coming out of college, it would be a tremendous opportunity. But the jobs that are generally available, the compensation that's available, I mean, I've said it before, for most folks, like you, you go and join 
an advisory firm and start selling financial service products or insurance products because you couldn't go teach English in Korea. Like it is clearly like the last stop taking a commission pay sales job and it shouldn't be that way. And I think as these firms get bigger, as I we're seeing them evolve before our eyes, create job descriptions and career tracks and pay bands and with base salaries, it's actually going to get pretty attractive for the next generation. And that I think is going to do wonders for the industry. And I think those career tracks, the job descriptions you're talking about, that would go a long way to breaking down the silos. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, this is, it's a big part of where I started on that it just happens to some folks because they have enough success that they have too many clients and they have to bring people in and they're control freaks. All of us are as entrepreneurs to some degree, but where they bring these junior advisors in and they don't let them just grow their own book of business. They teach them, this is how I want it done. Like the first year client onboarding experience, this is how we do it. And it can be frustrating sometimes for Gen 2 and Gen 3 if you don't find the right people. But as you start having these workflows built into the CRM system, as you start having job descriptions, as we start being intentional, knowing that, all right, we're at 2 million in revenue. The next five years, we want to be at 4 million. To get to 4 million, it's going to take X number of clients, which means we're going to need X number of advisors and support staff. And by the time we get there, we might need at least a part-time ops person or office manager. Like they can map out this org chart of what things are probably going to need to look like. And then all of a sudden, you you can't have these silos where you have advisors coming in and their job is to source clients and service those clients. And when their bucket gets filled up, then we need to go hire another advisor. And they do the same thing. We push some clients down to them. They go build their own book. It's really, really difficult to scale that. And even when you do scale it and you end up with 15 or 20 of them, it actually starts to look more like a little mini broker dealer because you have all these independent contractors kind of doing their own thing. So when you get these firms that are more intentional about their growth, they put together these org charts and all of a sudden you go from, all right, well, what do we need to go from 2 million to 4 million or 4 million to 8 million? Well, it usually ends up being more specialist. And that's where I say, in many cases, it just kind of starts to happen to them. But it it's why from our lens, looking at the succession plan, their ability to create sustainable growth long-term, like these are all sort of the underpinnings of being able to create a sustainable enterprise. Like you have to start with that mindset of not being an owner operator, or at least the goal of not being an owner operator at some point, like how do I create a firm that can someday exist without me? Because it's going to happen even to the best of us. Right. And that's, that's one of the points I want to get to too. But first, can you be an advisor and a CEO at the same time? What does that do to valuation? We think, wow, this is my firm. I can run it. I can, I can bring in new people. I can service people. But does that help the valuation? That's tough. And I would tell you, we see this in advisory firms all the time, doing the valuation work that we do, the merger and acquisition and succession work. And frankly, folks listening, just being a fellow business owner with you, no, you cannot be... I'll just say generically a practitioner and CEO at the same time. Like, can you? Well, sure, practically, because you go back to like when we all started our businesses, initially right. you're chief yes. cook yes. and dishwasher, like you juggle all the balls because, well, there's nobody else to do it. So there, yes, you are practitioner, advisor, and CEO. But as you grow, you'll start finding that, okay, well, 
you still have a finite amount of time, obviously. And then when you get to a point where you've got staff, one or two or 50, doesn't really matter. When you have staff, then you have benefits and HR and annual reviews and mentor meetings and training. Plus you have the clients to service. Plus hopefully some of that leadership stuff directionally, like if we do want to double in size, how are we going to do it? What are we doing today to help make that a reality? Like, well, when you get big enough, you end up finding a lot of practitioners, professional service folks, advisors included. They, we, I end up almost hiding kind of behind that practitioner role because it's what we know. You don't have to get up in the morning and try to figure out, like, how do I be an advisor any more than I have to figure out, like, how do I be a succession consultant? Like, you have done it and you have done it from, you know, zero clients to one and one to a hundred, like, you know how to do that job. But did you ever get any training or mentorship on being a CEO? Like, no, you just kind of stumble into that one, look around and realize, oh shit, now I'm a CEO, (laughs) I'm in charge. Like, well, now what? And so I think as you start looking at being more intentional about that and saying, okay, how much of my time, like, let's just say 40 hours per week, you know, two, 300 work days in any given year, best case scenario, like how am I dividing my time? And, and is that effective? And the typical answer as firms grow and get to a million, two million, three million in revenue is they're not using their time as effectively as they could. And I boil it down to just like a simple example of if you spend 70, 80% of your time doing client-related activities, meeting with clients, meeting with the staff afterwards about the client meeting, prospecting, like those are important activities. I get it. But even if you looked at just your A clients and said, all right, if if I was going to step out of that role on a full-time basis, I mean, you can still do it part-time. Clients love to see mm-hmm. you. You mm-hmm. probably like going back and doing it a little bit. Like it's what you've grown up doing as a professional. But if you could go hire somebody else from the outside, let's say you had to do this. Like you knew you were going to get sick and it was going to be for a year or two. We had to go hire somebody to take care of not just C&D clients. I get that's a little easier to hire for, but let's take on the hard task. We're going to hire somebody to take care of your best clients. It's not going to be cheap. Like you're not getting somebody to do it for, you know, 50, 60 bucks an hour. Like it might cost you $150, $200 an hour, which as simple math equates to basically three or $400,000 per year. It ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. However, let's say it was $200 an hour or call it $400,000 annually. That's a lot. Like as a salary to just come in and service top clients, like you could find somebody for $400,000. I don't care what market you're in. At $200 an hour to take care of clients, could you as the advisor, founder, owner, I'll hesitate to say CEO, could you spend your time doing things that would generate more value than $200 an hour? Right. I would posit the answer is probably yes. And if the answer is no, then sure, keep being an advisor, but it's going to get to a point where the answer will undeniably be yes. Leading your firm, training the next generation of talent, building centers of influence in the community, networking, doing the radio, I mean, fill in the blank. $200 sounds like a lot per hour, but when you really start boiling it down to what you could do with 40 hours per week, 52 weeks a year, like that could be pretty impactful if we could free your time up. It'll be super uncomfortable at first, but eventually very impactful. David, where do you learn to be a CEO? Where do you find a mentor? I mean, you are mentoring people that you are bringing in as advisors, but where do you go for for guidance? And that that is the tough part. Like as an advisor, 
I won't say that's easy, but it's easier. Like you are surrounded by peers. If you're under a broker dealer, you have folks that want to help you. If you're with a custodian, you have relationship man. Like you have so much support around you on how to be a great advisor, how to create a great client experience, how to rebalance portfolios. I am starting to see more firms by more, I can still count them on one hand, but it's a lot more than previously that are focusing on this sort of CEO focus and mentality for their top firms, but even their smaller firms. Like it, it is a mentality that if you start with that in mind of I, I am the CEO and I'm going to build an enterprise, like that's really powerful. We're starting to see broker dealers and custodians and you know other resource providers, wholesaling companies providing a little more thought leadership around this, but it, it's about getting out to things like the Barron's conference, you know, going and surrounding yourself with not people who are at your size, but people who are twice your size, like be part of a study group, like use the resources that are around you. Because frankly, most folks who have built a firm big enough where they are the CEO or should be the CEO, nobody's super comfortable with it, but also no one's really bringing it up. And so where I've seen it be most prolific is in these study groups. Are perhaps advisors afraid to accept the CEO role because it means that they are getting closer to their exit? Yes, I think they hesitate. I mean, for a variety of reasons. One, it's just friggin' uncomfortable, like, especially making that transition of like showing up in the morning and knowing with probably very little preparation for most of us, you could take care of clients. You don't need to think about it. it doesn't require a lot of mental energy. You're really good at it. Being a CEO requires constant focus, constant mental energy, thinking of new ways to grow the firm, dealing with problems and issues like it, it can be stressful. And so I get why people just avoid it. it and that's, that's fine. But it's the folks who are trying to build an enterprise, but they don't want to be the CEO. Those are the ones that kind of get stuck <laughs> in this weird, awkward middle place. And I mean, there are solutions out there. There's a lot of the great like industry aggregators that will help get those middle tier firms sort of unstuck. But it's a lot of times why they get stuck in the first place because it's uncomfortable being a CEO, but they've gotten to a point where they need that role, at least you know on a more full-time basis, but they don't have anybody raising their hand, including the founder. And then just kind of ebb along and they grow because of the markets propping them up. And then they look back on it as they get precariously close to retirement and think, well, shoot. Now, well, we're slightly too large for most of the folks out there that would buy us. We don't have the efficiencies to attract you know, the big buyers that would be really interested. And then they just kind of retire through attrition, which mm. is painful to watch. Wow. All right. <laughs> this is a great conversation. And I can <laughs> think of people who I've known in other fields that were very good and were put into management positions and they just kind of fizzled. Right. Does that happen? It, it does. And so I think it's about just making sure we we understand and identify what is the end goal. Like, and I don't want to get, you know, too lofty with our ambitions here of creating business plans because you know, I, I don't want to go back to like undergrad or grad school. We're like, oh, you have to write up this business plan. Like most of us don't have a business plan, like at least not a written one. We probably have a business plan in our heads, but it is important to even if you just have it on a post-it note or make a mental note of it, like asking yourself periodically, it doesn't have to be, you know, a couple of times every year, but like, what 
are the goals for the firm. Hmm. And if the goal for the firm is to be an enterprise and we want to get to a billion or 10 billion or whatever your goal might be, you're going to have to be the CEO to make that happen. Like, depending on how lofty your ambitions are, that might end up eating 20% of your time up. It might necessitate you being a CEO full time. And if you are not comfortable with that, and I get it, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. But if you don't want to be the CEO, then just go the other way with it and say, acknowledge, like, I do not want to have all the burdens that come with being the CEO. And I'm going to run a very efficient, very lean, very simple lifestyle business. That too is very difficult to compete with. Just don't get stuck in the middle. All right. David, as we wrap this up, is there anything we have not touched on that you think we should? I mean, I think that sort of, you know, closing comment there, because again, going back to the work we do on helping you all who are listening, buy practices, grow in organically, build better businesses, eventually exit the business and hopefully find a great successor, get a good value. The, the key to unlocking the growth, unlocking your ability to have a seamless and easy succession plan to me is that intentional growth goal, the, the business plan of do I want to build an enterprise? Like, am I an empire builder? And if that is the case, then double down on it. If you don't want to be the CEO, but you still know you want the enterprise or that empire being built, well, then just acknowledge as you start to create that roadmap, like, yeah, when we get to five or six million in annual revenue, for example, we might need to start looking for either somebody on the team or somebody from the outside who could come and be the CEO. Because you know, I, as the founder, I do not want that. Or I merge with another team and that'll help get us there faster and maybe that firm that I'm merging with, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who's not a great advisor or operator, because that's me. I'll try to find somebody who is a great, gregarious leader. Like They may be terrible operationally, but that's part of why you can get some really good synergies when you merge. So just be super intentional and revisit it periodically, because you, you may find when you're 30 and 40, like I'm building the empire. Like I'm building the next Hightower, the next Dynasty, Carson, whatever you set your ambitions towards. And then you get to be you know, 50 and you've had some you know, setbacks, you've had some wins, some losses like we all do, health issues. You may end up reassessing and saying, you know what? Actually, I've kind of started down that path and it sucks and I don't like it. And I want to be a lean, mean lifestyle business. So I would just say reassess it periodically. Pick which one of those two that you want to be. You will be one or the other, or you will get stuck in the middle. And if you get stuck in the middle, the succession choices are more limited. They are less fun. They're still there. You know, it's an industry where there's a pretty high buyer demand. You can pretty much always pull the ripcord and find somebody to buy the practice. But if you get caught in the middle, you're not going to get the great values that the lean, mean, super efficient lifestyle practices get. And you're not going to get the values that these large, super efficient enterprises get. So if you can be really intentional about what you're building, reassess it periodically, the hope is you'll get to a point where when the clients ask you like, hey, how much longer are you going to be doing this? Assuming you're still meeting with clients right. or if you're not, that your clients, when your staff ask like, how much longer are you going to be doing this? That the answer is probably 65 or 70. Like I, I have a plan already mapped out. It might be a little bit longer than that, but like we have a very distinct answer because we have a very specific goal for this business. And I think when you can do that, you'll just enjoy the process, frankly, a lot more. And know that it. I wish it was static. You could just set this goal and then begin down your path. But 
it does change from time to time. So reassess periodically, figure out what it is you want to be when you grow up. Oh, if we could only answer that question, right? <laughs> David, how can advisors reach you? Because I would guess a lot of them have a lot of thoughts right now. Yeah. So a couple of ways, honestly, probably the easiest way is just to simply visit the website. Our contact information is, as you might suspect, on the contact page. There's a chat bot there where you can just chat live with our staff, get time on any of our team members' calendars. We are also on social media always. We're pretty good about posting things to LinkedIn specifically. It's on the other platforms as well. And I do know we have a webinar coming up, I believe, next week where we'll be talking about our mid-year update. But even that's another example of where we'll be posting you know, highlights and snippets of it to social media. So it's always a good place to find us. And with that in mind, give us a tease. I know you've got some guests coming up. What topics will you be addressing? Ooh, we've got a couple of them. So on the topic specifically of like enterprise building, I'm really excited to have Matt Cooper from Beacon join us here in a couple of weeks because he is one great shining example of somebody who is very intentional about what he wanted to build back in like day one, I think he started it pretty close to when we started Succession Resource Group, and he's done a fantastic job. That won't be the focus of our conversation, mm -hmm. but I guarantee it will come up because Beacon's done such a good job of growing so intentionally with that roadmap that I think it's worth talking about. But also, they have been really active on the acquisition front, quasi-aggregator, if you will. Um, so we're going to talk about, about the deal-making. Um, we got a couple other folks on the advisor side that have actually made the transition from being an advisor to a CEO that are going to have join us. Uh, and then the next one that I am most excited about is, you know, folks from our team where we can actually peel the onion back a little bit because talking about building an enterprise is great. Breaking down silos, getting specialty, you know, in your teams. But a lot of that comes back to then those job descriptions, your employment agreements, compensation plan design, which everybody who's dealt with compensation plan design loathes it. Mm -hmm. Our team loves it. And I'm going to get them on and we're going to talk more about this trends we're seeing. So that's a little preview of what we got coming up for the next probably four or five episodes. Awesome. Fantastic, David. Now, listener, follow this podcast. Also, let David know what topics you'd like him to talk about. And of course, share with others as well. Thanks for being with us. And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at successionresource.com or, of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Succession Resource Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have. As always, we at SRG stand ready to help when you're ready.